Good evening, you're all listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining us tonight, uh, a blast from the past, one of the OG panelists, Quarter Three's Tom Check. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet Mike and John. I've never talked to you guys before. I look forward to talking to you guys about this weird game today. Uh, we've also got freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. And we're also joined by the Three Moves Ahead Man with the Plan uh, Shadow Council member, Mike Gillis. <laughs> Hi. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about a very strange game called Shadow Empire uh, from VR Designs, published by Slytherin. And it is, well, it's still technically the winter of wargaming, so arguably... This is a war game, but it's not just a war game. It's also a 4X strategy game, but also it's a role-playing game. It's a relationship manager. It's a narrative uh, proc-gen engine. Tom, what is Shadow Empire? Shadow Empire is everything that you just described, Rob. Um, but most importantly, it is a unique strategy game pretty much created, I would say, from whole cloth. Uh, all of us here have been playing Civilization clones, as far as 4Xs go, for pretty much as long as we've been playing video games, I'm assuming. You know, I pick up a game like Planetfall, which I've been playing a lot of recently, and that's like in my DNA. I know how to sit down and play Planetfall before I learn the particulars of Planetfall. I don't think anybody is prepared to play Shadow Empires. I, like, I think this game, it doesn't, it, it has no template. It is something that to me, and this is part of what I think is the challenge and the appeal of it, it feels like something wholly new and, and, and fresh. Uh, it just feels unique. And, and these days, that is something you can say about far too few designs. Um, so I would say of the things, you know, you mentioned it for Winter of Wargaming, I would say being a war game probably isn't even in the top five. It's certainly true of it, but it's probably not one of the top five main descriptions of it. I would say there are like at least five pillars of this design that supersede it just being a war game. Uh, but it's clearly made by someone who has a background in war games. You can see that in there. But there are just so many other things that it is instead and more, I kind of feel. So uh, there, there's my shot at, at making it sound enticing. Okay, so I'm going to give the, I'm going to explain why there's a, there's a fence around this game a little bit. And, and Tom, I think you hit on it right at the start. To a degree, I think all of us to varying degrees sometimes suffer from strategy game ennui. Right. Where it's like we've been playing variations of the same four X's for ages, and that can be a bit tired, a bit creatively exhausted. But it is at least familiar. Uh, we have an understanding of roughly how those games work and the conventions uh, that they tend to adhere to. And that tends to extend increasingly all the way down to like really basic elements of user interface, uh, where almost any four X you can quickly navigate your way around just because there's so much common language and so much uh, crossover of concept. And that creates a very easy on-ramp, albeit to a somewhat same experience to a lot of these games, but nevertheless, it makes them easy to get into. And Tom, when you say, I don't think anyone is prepared uh, for Shadow Empire, 
That is 100% true of me. And let me tell you, the game tries its best to be uh, very cool with, hey, just get in there. Start messing around. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Uh, just explore and discover. There's tooltips sometimes. And after about two, three hours of that and just feeling like everything's going to crap, I went to the ma- the manual and I was like, surely they can help. And they did. The manual did help. After 25 pages of lore. <laughs> uh, and so I think this is because it is such an unusual game and because it has uh, such narrative ambitions, because building its world is such an important thing to it. It can also be a very forbidding game. It can be a somewhat prickly game to get into and, and warm up to. But the thing I've observed and the thing that's starting to win me over is that it does seem to inspire a lot of loyalty, a lot of passion uh, for this game that I don't see as often around the uh, the Three Moves Ahead Discord these days. And so I thought I'd ask uh, the game's greatest champion uh, around, around the Discord, uh, its biggest fan, John. Just, why do you love this game so much? Why have you not let it die? I just think that it is... Every once in a while in in video games, someone comes along and disregards all the established advice about what kind of game you should or should not attempt to make. And they make a game anyways. And I feel like Shadow Empire is one of those games. It's a game that simulates way more things than it should. It includes so many more different genres of game than it should and it just fundamentally disregards the entire concept of what a 4X sci-fi strategy game looks like and what the scope of that kind of a game is and instead says let's uh let's let's go let's let it let's do what i will call the full dwarf fortress Right. Just take everything you want to have in the game and just shove it into the game. You want it to be a war game. Great. It's got division scale war game management. You want it to be a 4X. Awesome. It's got explore, expand, exploit. You want it to be a high level character driven diplomatic strategy game. It's going to be that, too. And oh, I'm sorry. We left out post apocalyptic survival simulator. Oh, yeah, we left. Which out- is actually an important part of this. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely correct. We left out post uh, 60s sci-fi esque post-apocalyptic space future. Don't don't forget a uh, 90s era clip art. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cutscenes of things that look like GI Joes for sure, and uh, also a blistering variety of game environments and ways for the fundamental mechanics to be applied to you within one game. Like in a game of shadow in two different campaigns of shadow empire, you might play as a desperate hard scrabble technologically stunted society living on an airless moon where every scrap of metal you can grab together to make new environment suits is a precious resource because it allows you to put more of your limited troops in the field out of the, 
people desperately surviving in the dome cities to in another game, a sprawling industrial complex living in the ruins of a far greater megacity civilization on a tropical moon inhabited by deadly megafauna. These things coexist within Shadow Empire, and I think the fact that it's even playable is a miracle. That's um, why I insisted we talk about this game eventually. Yeah, and I do think this is one of the cases where uh, something feels truly fresh and unexpected. Um, but I also think, you know, it seems like it might be res different parts of it will resonate uh, with different people. I think for me, one of the first things I latched and latched onto was um, the part that made sense to me was that the war game interface was basically lifted straight from the operational art of war, which is an extremely specific game to, to reference. But nevertheless, the way this thing has you committing assets to collective attacks, uh, like that part of the interface was familiar to me. And it was a way for me to start to grab onto parts of this game and be like, okay, so this is how I deal uh, with the marauding free peoples. And we'll set aside for a minute whether I really should be just shooting up these people who are just out there living on the wasteland. Um, you know, they were in my way. Uh, so it had to be done. But one of the first things they did was sort of latch onto parts of the war game identity I recognized. And once I'd conquered territory, then I could start figuring out, okay, what am I going to do with all this? Uh, Mike, I think you got into it roughly around the same time that I was getting into it. Um, what was one of the first things that resonated with you? Where did the where did the picture of this game start to fall into place for you? Well, I think there's two different parts to that, because on the on the theming side of it, I felt like from the second you opened it up and it it's just going for it. It's like sepia toned and, you know, in a time when et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the amount of ridiculous lore in the manual, <laughs> I just thought like, okay, there's something really interesting happening here. And I immediately had to figure out what was actually going on here because it's, uh, you know, it's this mishmash of all of these genres. So what's actually happening? Um, but actually getting into the mechanics of the game, um, I think it's I've had this sort of roller coaster arc with do I do I love this? Do I hate this? Is this a mess? Is this brilliant? Um, and I think you just have to kind of pick like some thread to pull on to get into the mechanics. Like for me, I think it was kind of the same thing of like, OK, well, I can understand what's going on with these troops. So I'm going to have to work with that. And then, okay, now I have to dig into the logistics system, which seems ridiculously complicated, but okay, it's coming from war games. So I'll read through the manual. I'll think about logistics and then I'll come back and start digging into what's going on with the cities and the different hexes that have resources and how that plays into your strategic HQs, which are kind of like your capitals, but not really. Um, <laughs> So it's, uh, yeah, it's just like this whole ball of twine that you have to just decide where you want to start and then see what happens and see if you like it or not. I'm still, I, I feel like I'm constantly of two minds about that. I think that's fascinating. I, I want to say that I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think it's fascinating because it, it feels like it proves Rob right immediately 
simply because it, it sounds like Mike came at this and tried to understand how the game works in a completely different way than I did. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you could just pick like anywhere and just sort of like, OK, well, there's cards. Is this a card game? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because my brain was immediately like, sweet, I'm the Lord of the Wasteland. Let's let's scavenge the ruins for loot and build rebuild industrial society from the ground up. Tom, you had something a moment ago. Though. I'm curious what it was. Oh, I, I just wanted to uh, I, I sort of think that this game does have a prerequisite every bit as important as the amount of hard drive space or the graphics card or whatever, like all those uh prerequisites are pretty low but the higher prerequisite which is just as important is basically an inquisitive nature this game is not going to meet you halfway not even a quarter of the way really this is a game that is for people who enjoy learning curves and i maintain a learning curve is a fundamental part of any strategy game that's it's going to be there whether it's short or long or brief or shallow, every game's going to have some learning curve. But if you don't enjoy that part of a strategy game, this is not a game for you because a fundamental part of the experience here is what Mike described, where you come to it attracted to one element of it. And because it has so many different elements, as John mentioned earlier, um, and furthermore, because all of those elements, I feel, are really well integrated. Um, you have to be curious about these other elements. You can't just say, okay, I want to play an apocalyptic war game and then sit down and play it because you also have to learn not just the apocalyptic war game. You have to learn the HR management, the human resources stuff with your, with your council. You have to learn the logistics. You have to learn the card system. Um, and if you don't want to chase down these things that maybe didn't initially appeal to you, if you don't want to untangle them, uh, this game isn't going to do it for you. Um, you know, Rob, you, you made a joke about 25 pages of lore, and that is correct. There are 25 pages of lore in the manual, but you're kind of burying the lead that it's a 350-page manual. <laughs> like, like there, there is, you need to want to read that manual to play this game. And I know a lot of people don't want to read a manual, but I love reading manuals, and I'm guessing that Mike and John don't mind so much either, uh, because that's what I think it takes to come to Shadow Empire. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, that's kind of tied up with the fact that, like you were mentioning, it's this this integrated set of all these yeah. that uh, mechanics that feel disparate. Like, I think there's something about the fact that um, Victor Rikers, the guy who who designed this, um, is coming from the the war game space, right? He the last one he did was uh, Decisive Campaigns Barbarossa, which there's a three MA episode on, and. Uh, when I I listened to that episode over the weekend, and um, when I, I think about the way that um, that we talk about war games, and the way that if you're if you're looking at a war game that's covering a historical context that you're already familiar with, um, you can you can look at the war game, and it's like the mechanics make themselves more prominent because you can kind of discard the fact of what they're representing and just say like, okay, how are they representing this? What are the, what are the mechanical choices they're making? And I think that comes much more to the fore when you're talking about war games. And I think there might be an expectation or there is an expectation, right? Like nobody makes a 250, 350 page manual 
for for no reason. They're doing that. Victor Rikers is doing that because he expects that people are going to read that. And so having this coherent mass of really complicated mechanics, it's just sort of like the the bar for entry. And I think it means that he's willing to go in directions with mechanics and mix these things together in a way that you wouldn't do if you weren't coming out of the war game space. And I think that's, it's just like a gold mine of ideas. I think I can't remember who I was talking to, but uh, I think one of the things this game reminded me of is I imagine if Vic Davis had stayed in game design and like started working with a studio or something, we might have seen a game like this uh, come out where it's it's got a, a sort of familiar like reimagining of familiar concepts, but also put in a much more ambitious framework uh than than we're used to observing and you know i i sort of joked about the uh lengthy lore dump at the start of the manual but i also have to say i think this game does a decent job of front loading some of the concepts it's going to be playing with both in the lore but also from the moment you're setting up a game uh the game is called shadow empire but Unlike a lot of 4Xs, this is not about the establishment of a of an empire, really, from starting from scratch. Uh, as the lore lays out, we're like three fallen empires deep in the history of the sci-fi universe, right? Like, uh, we've had multiple, uh, like, mass societal disruptions and self-destructions uh before we ever take our first turn but when you're doing your little uh game creation thing a lot of forexes have this we're familiar with it uh you sort of set the parameters of the game what size map what type of planet is it going to be uh it uses some surprising technical terminology so it's really concerned about like how many uh astro uh the au uh god damn it astrophysical units um away from the sun astronomical units astronomical units away from the sun uh your planet is what kind of orbit and rotation it has what kind of uh almost certainly messed up climate your your planet has you have to choose all of these things uh before you go but then before you get into a game you also kind of have to make decisions about the fictional background for where your story is taking place. So when the when the empire fell, when the most recent empire fell, what happened to your colony? How was your colony founded? Um, how has it handled the various challenges that have come with existing in this post-apocalypse on this particular planet? And so before you ever take a turn, you've also had to engage with sort of the um, procedurally generated fictional elements that drive this game that you aren't just, Oh, I'm picking uh space Rome and we come with these different advantages. No, you might be starting with a faction that like, Oh, we were an abandoned mining colony. Uh, and the mine, the mine didn't pan out, but fortunately for us, another uh, colony ship crashed nearby and, and so on and so forth. And so every game right out of the gate, you have the sense of specificity to your game. And that actually kind of tips you 
to the scale of decisions you're going to make where this is going to be a game about personal relationships and loyalties and narrative twists. One of the things that, uh, that I, I kind of want not correct you on, but you pointed out, Rob, and this is right, that you go through all those little steps, but unlike other strategy games, and I love this about shadow empire, you're not making choices. You're basically rolling a die for each of these things. Now you can re-roll, but it's not like when I play Civ or Planetfall where I go through and I'm selecting the different parameters from a drop-down menu. This is like kind of rolling up a character in an RPG almost. Uh, and you're not wrong, so I'm definitely agreeing with what you're saying, but I think there's an important distinction between choosing it like you do in most strategy games for the map setup and rolling it to see what you're going to get. Like it, it's, but you're absolutely right. It's this. It's almost like a, a title sequence for your game. Is all of those steps that you go through to determine what kind of planet you're on, what disasters befell it. Uh, I, I do the 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 planet creation in this. I just think is one of its. It's a it's a real sort of gem that he's added to the beginning of every game. Uh, I have started so many games of this, and I have finished exactly zero. Like I have never got, I have so many games of this in progress because it is such a joy to re-roll and see, okay, what am I going to come up with this time? Yeah. And over the course of its release, they've added so many different twists and new planet classes and things that can happen. They added native intelligent alien life in this, uh, the January patch for this game, which profoundly changes the spectrum of things that can happen in a game where that that life is present. Yeah, John, the whole uh, there's like a screen uh, now that I'd never seen before because I haven't played this uh, since the initial release. Nor had I. So all, there was so much that was new to me sitting back down with it this week. Um, but there was a whole screen where you're choosing uh, and this Rob's technically correct on this point, you are checking off different options. But you're checking off options for things like intelligent life. Like I'd never seen that before. Right. There was a whole new screen with all these different settings, every one of which was like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. Why would I not check all of these <laughs> that I didn't quite understand? But I loved seeing that. Yeah, it it was a it was a major complaint of mine with the game on its release quite a while ago now that you couldn't purposefully trigger things like, yeah, I really want to play on a, a world with native multicellular life. Or I want to play on a world that's fundamentally toxic to human uh, biology. Now you can just sort of turn those things on and it is sweet. Right, right. Yeah. And there's so much that it suggests through the events that it it specifies as part of your uh, political history of your planet. Um, the things that like, you know, now this planet was uh, had, had become the sector capital for for oil refining or this company moved in and now that company moved away and now there's you know there's so much that it hints at simulating and i don't know what it's actually doing maybe it's all just a bunch of percentage rolls and it looks coherent but but it really does look coherent and it it starts building that like rob said it starts building that story for you right away and then you know you're just wondering what effects that's going to have to how things are going to be laid out once you get started. My understanding is that all that generation is coherent and does affect the way the game plays out in that it affects the distribution of 
uh, of civilizations and settlements on the planet's surface, how they're connected, what they were once connected with, what kind of subsidiary things you can go out and find. Because as you move around the map, you move troops around to explore the map because at the beginning of a game of Shadow Empire, it is post-apocalyptic. And so the default setting is that your little hard scrabble settlement has recovered after hundreds of years of chaos and is actually finally ready to look at the world more than 50 miles away from it. Right. And so you are exploring the world and you find stuff like you find abandoned energy plants or you find a crashed spaceship and these things have useful stuff in them. All that stuff, as I understand it, comes from that world generation and is seeded by that world generation, as well as, in my opinion, the thing that changes the feel of this game the most, which is the population level of the world you're playing on, because a game of Shadow Empire on a world with a relatively low population feels like a desperate struggle for survival where every life matters. And one on a world with a relatively high population feels like let's gear up and fight World War II, but with lasers this time. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little about the different vibes this game can take on. So I most of my time has been spent with low population, low development worlds because my instinct was that would be the easiest way to start picking up this game and learning how all the pieces fit together. And the thing that I really dug about those, and in some ways it almost feels like um, like different settings for an RPG system. For me, those games have had this wonderfully scrappy feeling um where to your point troop counts are low like i can't i i get such a small trickle of recruits uh that's your pool that you're going to be building units out of and also i think colonists um you get such a small trickle of those that you can't just roll out okay i'm gonna i'm gonna create uh, a new armored brigade that's that's not in the cards for the early hours of, of those games uh, but the cool thing is it has this very uh, it feels almost like a, um, you know, like a John Ford Western in some ways where it's a small community out in this out in this wasteland, uh, some unaffiliated groups out there. But it's all just very small scale. And the resources that are out there are so precious, you know, that like uh, we will fight to the death for this hex where we found a um, uh a, a station that melts the frozen ice on this planet into uh, potable water. And that is, that's a, that's a victory location that is real. Your, your colony can't live without that amount of water coming in. So you'll like, if someone's going to try to take it, there's, there can be no peace. Uh, and the other thing I dig about that is that at the start of these games that I've been playing, it does feel like, yeah, you have no idea what's 50 miles away from your little base. You have such a limited ability to uh, peer into the world. But a big part of this game is also redeveloping infrastructure and increasing your capacity to get out in that world and explore it. And like I kind of knew this game would win my heart when there was an entire logistics tab about like, okay, what kind of road network and transit infrastructure are you going to build uh, for your little colony? Because once you've sort of cleared the immediate perimeter around your station, uh, it does also become kind of a game about constructing these really 
precious colonial highways into uh, parts unknown and using those as like the main arteries to like allow further expansion and fuel your armies as they go further afield. And so for me, these games have like always, they, they felt like uh, being out in a really wild contested frontier. Uh, and when that begins to lift and it starts to feel like, okay, I now have cities that I'm running. I now have a second strategic location that I'm protecting. That has felt so impactful in a way that like founding a new city or colonizing a new planet, those things are so weightless in most forexes. And here they're rote. Yeah. And here it feels like, holy shit, I think we're ready to do it. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to settle this location. And the thought that a forest could do that in this day and age is, is wild. Yeah, I completely agree. And the game, at least for me and the, in the beginning sort of tens of hours of playing it actually had that magic of discovery and that sense of satisfaction from doing certain stuff The the moment for me that really stuck with me and continues to stick with me from this game was when I first started playing it and I was like, yeah, this is sort of like a tough sci-fi 4X thing. There's not too much going on here. And then I realized the depth of things like the the, the way the in-game economy works, but specifically the breadth of scenarios and the value of even in a in a sort of high population, high technology game strategically placing those cities to maximize logistic potential and sort of optimize your little tiny growing state into a real empire only for the game to absolutely curveball you with weird shit out of nowhere. And I loved that about it. I loved the part of an early game I was having where I had some like expeditionary militia way out in the boonies, just sort of exploring the ice cap of the planet to see if there was anything. And then I see these sudden huge unknown force contacts popping out of nowhere. And there are literally tens of thousands of fucking cannibal mutants riding motorcycles what? coming down out of the Arctic wastes to kill my entire civilization. That's a thing that this game will do to you. Surprise. That's better than a barbarian hut, I must say. It's uh, way better than a barbarian hut. And I encountered so many variations of that, too, like from Mad Max-esque raiders to cannibal mutants to dinosaur riding nomads to weird, uh, like, tech-obsessed cultists. I mean, just strange stuff. And that was it's so good because you don't expect any of it when it does happen to you. So one of the things uh, I also wanted to get at, though, is that in addition to the logistics and uh, colonization stuff and the, the military, the other thing you, you're dealing with is this is a game of politics, factional relationships, and also personal loyalties. And that is, a, that is another reach that this game is making is that I think it would do it. To, it would do it a disservice to say, "Oh, it's channeling Crusader King," because it's really not. But it does want to make individuals. It wants to have your story populated 
with characters who have their own priorities and values and agendas uh, that will complicate your ability to just be the um, guiding hand or god emperor of your faction that you so often are in this genre. On the other hand, uh, I have sometimes struggled to feel like, uh, because I tend to play conservative, I tend not to push too hard against uh, the the loyalties or priorities of my uh, commanders. I tend to just, I have a lot of middle of the road people that are reasonably trustworthy and reasonably happy uh, in my staff. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, Tom, one of the things that I opened with this, this is kind of a, this is a game with a lot of narrative ambitions. How do you feel about the use of these characters as a driver of, of those narrative ambitions? So the, the characters are kind of the forward-facing element of this this part of the game. The characters are literally there in your face. It's face-to-face. -face. You, you know, you've got the people on your council, and each council basically controls or integrates with a, a different element of the game. And how effective that part of the game is has to do with how happy and effective the head of that council is. But I think the the system that underlies this uh, that you will invariably find behind all the character management stuff is this really cool trinity of political values. And each of those political values then has a further mini trinity inside of it. Um, and those are the things that often are, are the basis for choices you make that will alienate or endear some of the different members of your council and, and also the leaders of your military, by the way. Um, so what I love about this character system is it's not just a, a, some petty squabbling people who maybe dislike each other, but it, it's kind of your entry. It is the skin, for instance, you, you might say, of the flesh and blood of the game in this politics system where you're deciding amongst, uh, and I think there, I've got it right here, uh, amongst like the, the political, the social, and the psychological elements of your empire. Uh, each of those is a value that you push often to the detriment of other values. And that's the foundation for the choices and the random events, and ultimately for who's happy and unhappy uh, in your empire as far as those characters go. So I love the characters and I love how they're an expression of the political system. Yeah, and to add on to that, and just to, to make an example of how these things all are integrated and, and play off each other, as the individual, so like under politics, there's autocracy, meritocracy, and democracy, and uh, your, your points in each of those three uh, categories, the higher they go, you get certain bonuses, um, but they also limit each other in this way that I haven't entirely figured out yet, uh, where one has to be a certain level high, uh, higher than another one so that it can uh, raise higher. And then so if you get a, a very unbalanced situation, you can't actually raise some of these things that you might want to get the bonuses that you want. But also you've got the pressure of the political parties that people are in that want particular configurations of these triads. So. Mike, it's, I can explain this to you. And like, this is such a, it was a bit of a eureka moment for me. The way that they affect each other is it's just if any two values equal 100, as long as they're both 50, nobody's going to push on, no value is going to push on any other value. But the moment that the sum of them is above 100, 
the the they start dragging each other back towards a hundred. So yeah. for for and and there's a little circle in each trinity. I, like it becomes super intuitive once you kind of figure out that one hundred threshold. Um, and it, I think it's a beautiful bit of design that I. So I'm I'm going to end up before the end of this podcast. By the way, I'm going to end up being a big naysayer on this game. Uh, I want to do some serious pushback, but I love how in, ultimately intuitive, accessible, uh, and just fluid that political system is with the values and trying to keep them under 100. Because when you know that, you can look at any given decision, which will tell you, hey, if you decide this, it's plus seven mind. But if you decide that, it's plus four fist. You know, once you know how the values balance each other, you can make very informed, concise decisions about the choices that you make in those in these events that it presents to you. Uh, and it's just a matter of do they equal more than a hundred? Um, yeah, it's a it is a slightly intimidating look interface because you do have three little flowchart things in your in your left side of your interface showing the um, interdependencies uh, between right. these values in each of the categories. So yeah, I also was struggling to uh, parse that. Um, here's another question for for y'all. I have sometimes been guilty of thinking that you can make anything better by throwing card mechanics at it. <laughs> and on. yet this game might prove my point. Discuss. I, I think cards I mean, are good. And I think I'll furthermore say, I think uh, if I were to just, if I were limited to, you know, one gameplay mechanic to describe this, I would say that Shadow Empire is a card game. And I would say it's not just add cards. Like, I think the stratagems are the fundamental part of the game. Yeah. Everything comes to the stratagems eventually, the cards. Yeah, I agree. I think that it, uh, I often criticize video game developers for, doing things that tabletop game developers did 10 years ago and making the exact same mistakes that tabletop developers have long since moved on from. And it is clear that this is a developer who has done their research and understands what a modern card driven war game looks like and applied those lessons to their own design and put those into this game. That's not to say there aren't flaws with how the cards are implemented, but they are a fundamental improvement to the basic gameplay and they don't make obvious mistakes in how card gameplay works that have been made before. I always felt like using those card stratagems was a, a joy, right? And I felt like it was really fun to invest in a, di a sh shift my government's priorities around because <laughs> I know we haven't mentioned this yet, but there's an elaborate governmental budgeting system involving councils and various groups of people to whom you must give different amounts of money and resources. But all that aside, I really enjoyed shifting my government's priorities around to try and fish out good cards from that section of government, right? Like I would realize we're winning this war, but our economy is starting to falter. We need to shift and put more resources into our economy so that we can get those vital cards to attract new private industry or whatever it is that we need i also think the cards are a huge asset for the game's pacing by the way because one of the things that every single turn begins with you drawing new cards like that's one of the things that i always when i hit in turn okay i've got to wait for the ai but i'm super excited to see okay what cards am i going to get this time uh and i love what that does to the pacing 
So let's talk through the card system a little bit, because uh, it is a pretty key element of this game. Uh, if I had to say, like, you're, you're, the things you're doing during the, the turn, uh, probably first you're clicking on the decisions tab, because the game will throw little decisions at you. Like, it might, it might be an event where you have to uh, make a quick call about... Uh, you know, just something about the life of the colony, right? Like, will you will, will you properly respect the troops today or will you, uh, you know, make it throw a peace sign, <laughs> that kind of thing? Um, or you might have, yeah, a, a, a hey, we have to allocate budget. Uh, how are you going to allocate budget this year? All of which is tied into this sort of character system, I have to point out in a nice way. Right. Um, uh, and it is cool how sensitive it is to it. Like, if you adjust a budget, people's happiness will go up and down sort of proportionally but if you're like i'm going all in on guns the hell with butter um the people who their job is to manage uh like resource production infrastructure and government or science they will be pissed if everything's going to the military and the military is going to be be happier probably um but that's one of the things you're doing every turn you're as you're sort of considering what are the things i have to look at but the next tab I'm probably going to each turn is this uh, stratagems tab. And that is. It's broken down. All these cards are in your hand, but it sort of sorts them by category. But cards cover a lot of different grounds as to whether you want to provide buffs uh, to your colony, whether you want to open up entire like possible like mechanical possibilities uh, in the game. Uh, they can be used to create a new leader uh, who can become someone who joins your government. It's sort of a chance to, uh, you know, try your luck at getting another officer, uh, for instance. Um, but for me, I think how I've been playing it for the most part has still been as a for a, a wargamey 4X with card elements Tom, you said that it all comes back to the stratagems. And I'm like, could you describe a little bit the ways in which this is ultimately a card game with other accoutrements? Sure. So uh, even like the, the you know, it, 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 I'm not disputing it's a war game because that's definitely there. But I would say that the cards touch most directly every other element of the design in a way that the war game doesn't necessarily. Uh, you could, I wouldn't recommend it, but you could theoretically sit down and play this uh, without many other empires or without many other regimes on your planet uh, and just play it as an exploration resource management game. Um, you could kind of do what you're doing and just kind of ignore the personnel and take whatever you get. Uh, but what you couldn't do is not use the stratagems. Whatever part of the game you're playing, you're going to end up using and caring about those stratagems. Uh, and furthermore, whatever you're pushing with your political values, because I think it's about, I guess you could let everything sort of sit in the middle and not push any one particular value. But generally when you play, and I think this is the way you want to play, you're going to pick a value in each of the categories that you're going to be pushing. Uh, and that value is going to, and the reason that you push it is because it's going to unlock unique stratagems. Um, the way that you advance in this game, you could just let turns go by and see how you do, but the way that you ultimately advance your empire is by pushing 
the political, social, and psychological element of your empire. And the reason that you want to push it is to get unique and more powerful stratagems. Uh, so that's the rationale I would use to say, yeah, it's a, it's a game that's many, many different kinds of, it's got many different kinds of things in it. But ultimately, I think it all comes down to being a game about these cards, these stratagems. John, what are some of the key lessons you think this game learns from other card-driven games that we've seen over the years? Because I agree, like there was a point there where uh, maybe card mechanics were becoming like the nutmeg of uh, strategy and war game design. Um, but what do you th what do you think makes this deployment of card elements so effective uh, when we've sort of seen it wax and wane in tabletop? I think it understands that what cards, the, the inherent random nature of cards out of a pool of possibilities is what a strategy game designer can use to very beautifully model the realm of what's possible versus the realm of what is currently politically possible. You only draw that non-aggression packed card because in the fiction, in, in the, wor the, the world in which this game is grounded, this is the time when you can get away with it, right? It's become politically feasible for you to make a non-aggression pact with your neighbor. You can draw that, uh, that like field training card or what have you to send your military units out to train because your staff council, your, your staff officers have asked to do that. They're not the kinds of things that you as the executive can immediately take control of. You can't just arbitrarily decide to you. You could, but you wouldn't just arbitrarily decide that it's time for field exercises. It I is mean, getting at what John is saying. Uh, this, this is a deck builder. I mean, make no mistake about it. That, sure. that is yeah. what the fundamental part of this design is. And I don't think most people know that uh, after poking at it for, for a few hours. No. Certainly, I don't think the manual ever says that, but this is straight up a deck builder. Uh, it absolutely is, because eventually, as you get deeper into this game, you'll say, man, a couple games ago, I kept getting that really good free movement right. packed card. I really could How use do I get that. that again? How do I get it again? And that's when you open up the manual, and that's when it shows that to play this game, you have to be the kind of person that's interested in reading a manual or at least referencing one because you'll then be like, oh, I need a strong foreign affairs council so I can get those deals with foreign nations and I can, you know, uh, please my people better by getting trade deals or I can get a better uh, group of of workers for the state by using those draft worker cards or what have you. Right. You really start to dig into that stuff you really start to care where your cards came from and that is the point at which you're like oh i need to build my deck of available cards so i have a better chance of getting the cards i want each turn and it's Rob, kind of a, use, oh go ahead mike i was going to say it's kind of amazing that as intimidating as opening it up for the first time and going oh i don't know what game this is <laughs> uh it still manages to be an iceberg of of complexity as far as it it and an actual turn despite the fact that we're talking about all these millions of different things you actually don't necessarily have to engage with everything and the decisions are paced in a way and the stratagems are rolling out in a way that that you do actually only have a, a you know 
your desk is only so full for that turn. So you can kind of choose how far you need to engage with, um, with where you're taking things and how much you need to think through like, okay, is, if I, if I need this card, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Um, it's, there's so much going on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot going on, but there also is a lot that you don't have to explicitly engage with to play the game. There's a whole private economy sector of the game where you oh. can engage see you can engage with and mess with the private economy that's going to be important for about i don't know 85 percent of the ways you're going to play this unless unless you're like me and you end up going full stalinism almost every time like there's going to need to be a private economy of some kind and you'll want to try and I, figure I out how to stimulate game. it like john i'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things too i I'd hate for this to get buried that I, I think it's really brave that Victor designed the game around this idea of a self-running economy that you have no control over. You know, there are very few games that do that. Like there, uh, uh, Victoria, Paradoxes Victoria games did that. Uh, there's a science fiction game called, um, oh shoot, I want to say Distant Worlds. I forget the name of it. Um, but, but I love a game that acknowledges, look, you don't get to be the dictator of the economy. It's doing its own thing. You can dip your finger in, you can do certain things, but there's a complex, sophisticated uh, simulation running down here that has nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah. Get used to it. Like, I like kind of being marginalized like that. Well, it's it's vital. It gives the actual fantasy, the feeling, the experience of yeah. being who you are in this game, which is sort of pseudo despotic supreme leader, air quotes, elected uh, person in this government. and that. That all ties into the 25 pages of lore in the manual, which if you read, you'll really sort of I think it's an interesting and unique, very 60s, 70s sci-fi setting. But but cool. John, you sound like you've been hitting that autocracy uh, angle in the politics triangle I, there. I will hit the <laughs> autocracy every single time because it has excellent bonuses. I will say I do love that, that when I sit down to play a game. I roll up my planet like Rob was talking about. I have my title sequence where I see everything that happened. Uh, and then I start, get the lay of the land. Uh, I prefer playing with the maps um, revealed. There's still fog of war, but you know what the terrain is. Um, so do a little preliminary exploration. And then based on what I find and what I've got going so far, I love deciding, okay, this is going to be my autocracy playthrough. Or this is going to be my hearts playthrough or my commerce playthrough. Uh, it's, it's almost like a class in an RPG or something. Uh, and it's not something that you decide when you begin the game. It's something that kind of emerges naturally. Uh, and I, I love that about this. Yeah. So we keep coming back to the, uh, the RPG system metaphor. And I think that's perfect, really, right? Like we've been talking about how uh, you're rolling your planet and that is like rolling a character and you've got the these just wild variety of scenarios that that you can uh stuff yourself into and all these all these systems actually work in such a way where it does feel like a uh like the system lends itself to the simulation of that particular scenario in, in such a way that it feels pretty natural at least to me and uh it's it's uh it's impressive. I, we haven't, Tom, you mentioned that you, you were going to turn heel at some point and, and talk about some of the problems and we probably should, it's not all uh, sunshine and roses. Yeah. Can I, Rob, can I be the nattering nabob of negativity now? Oh, I've been waiting for it. 
<laughs> it's kind of my thing, I guess. Uh, I I think that this game ultimately, uh, I, I want to almost say fails because I love reading manuals. I love learning difficult, complex games. I love that feeling of getting a test game going and thinking, okay, I've got to figure out, you know, how to how to play this system, how to work that system. But I I feel like so. The post-release support for this has been excellent in that Victor has been adding new features. He's been, uh, my understanding, and, and I confess, the logistics system in this still eludes me. And I love logistics. I will, I, I will throw down with any one of you on this podcast to say, I think logistics is sexy and cool, and I want a lot of it in my games. But I do not understand it in this game. It still eludes me. And that's even after... Victor patched in some sort of an easier system or something, and the the manual I think fails completely to help me learn logistics. I don't feel that this game has has done enough to make me understand some of its systems, specifically logistics, and not for lack of trying, and certainly not for lack of caring. Uh, and I feel that that's an indictment of the manual as a whole is there's a ton of stuff in there. 350 pages is a lot, but I feel like it's organized poorly. I feel like it's mostly written poorly. Uh, I feel like the presentation to people like me who are curious and willing to read a manual is in terrible shape. And it's gotten worse as the game has been updated because certain things, like I was super excited to get into this this week and play with the new card system because he's added something where you can break down and craft cards. And that's amazing to me, but it makes perfect sense in the context of a, of a deck builder. But there's nothing in the manual about it. And I know the manual has been updated for some of the features because the new air units, there is some stuff in the manual about that. But there's nothing in the manual about this new stuff you can do with the cards. And you know, if, you, if you're going to update your game, that's great. But if you're going to make a game that is so completely integral with a manual, you also have to update the manual. Uh, and I feel like the manual was a failure to begin with, was uh, wanting to begin with, and has become uh, increasingly, has increasingly failed to keep up with the game itself. So there's my negativity. So every time I've played this game, I've eventually rage quit it. And I did rage quit it this morning. Uh, I'm done with it. <laughs> so it's got a one for one. Every time I pick it up, I end up rage quitting it uh, without fail. And I blame the manual. Is that because the game hit, like, we've talked about, as you expand and more is happening in this game, the complexity layers in. It's a smart thing structurally, but yeah. it, it does seem like the number of things you're being called upon to understand and manage increases as you get deeper and deeper into a game. Does it just overwhelm the ability of the game plus that flawed manual to teach itself? I actually think that it's a problem from the get-go and not a problem of, of uh, increasing complexity as a game goes. I ironically, Rob, I think one of the best ways to learn this game is to boot it up with multiple provinces and multiple armies uh, and then just click around and look at stuff after it's been developed and then cross-reference it in the manual. Yeah. Um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't start a game that way, but for testing stuff and for learning the game, I definitely think it's better to, to jumpstart into the increasing complexity of the mid to late game i completely agree i would recommend to anyone looking to get started playing this game to 
just go ahead maybe maybe play one game on basic settings but start your games with two provinces and three armies or what have you it just is worth it yeah and as someone who has less experience in in war games i i mean i play a lot of weird stuff but um the i find that uh even giving it the the sort of benefit of doubt that that comes from being a war game originally sort of in its dark past um the interface is is not <laughs> it's it's not responsive it's not it's not good i don't think it's good i, I think this is one of the things i struggled with it a lot and i think where i'm i'm sympathetic to the challenge in that you know we talked to the start about how unlike this is how unlike most other games this is but I think that contributes to a feeling of there's all these different concepts at play in the game. There's all these different things the game wants you to care about. But there, what there isn't is a long tradition of like interface design around this that it can draw on. And so it feels very much like um in, in in some ways and, and i don't know may like maybe it's just because i'm making the association because graphically there's there's some in terms of palette there's some similarities but it reminds me a bit of like mid 90s like alpha centauri-esque interfaces where like everything's panels everything's long info info bars uh with different values over everything you could possibly be looking at but it's also a game where okay some key things are tossed into a tab but after a point there's a lot of tabs on the uh on the menu and what can't be solved with sub tabs so now we have category tabs in different places thrown all around the interface but also hey some of the stuff should probably just be shortcut off of a right click uh part of the interface so we'll build some shortcuts uh but then also you probably want to get into these sub menus and play around with uh you know the these these layers to things you can access through these tabs and what it what it feels like is um i don't know to me it just feels very cluttered is almost the wrong word because it's more of a conceptual clutter there is no easy workflow for me in this game every single time i want to do something i feel like i'm really quickly thinking like okay what are the steps to creating that building okay how do i find that ceo again where does he live inside this game yeah. rob i can describe <laughs> the i can describe the interface in one word torturous yeah i think i think it is torturous but i do have to say that and i know this is like the this is damning with faint praise for this genre of game, this is a shockingly cogent and functional interface, and it is miserable to use, but it does work. This oh, is leagues ahead of a isn't... war in the Pacific or war in the West. War in the interface West. Issue, war in the West. Right? Yes. Yeah. Compared to war in the West, this is a hot tub at the perfect temperature. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, everything is in there. Anything you need to look up is in there. Like the numbers are all there. there you somewhere. Can find what you need. Once you end up learning where certain screens are, it gets a lot easier, but it doesn't make it easy for you. I mean, it, it, it's it's definitely an effort to deal with this interface. Completely it's not going to get out of your way ever. Yeah. yeah, it feels like 
if somebody had an industrial juicer and they were like, I have all these amazing fruits and they're great. And the juicer says war game interface. And then you just hit the plunger down and this is what you get. And like, I, all the good stuff is in there, but it's just, this is not the, uh, I think it's really holding it back. Like there's all these good things that, that we've been talking about. I agree with them and it makes me want to play it more. And then when I'm actually playing it, it's just like, how, why, you know, where, <laughs> how do I find, I have to take frequent breaks. How do I, what? Yeah. I always took breaks playing this game and I actually would recommend it. It's, it's not a marathon game. I would play it for like two hours max. But it would just be a situation where I'm like, I need to step away for five minutes and I'm sure in five minutes I will be creative enough to figure out what is happening in this part of the game. But so many of the things I wanted to interact with a lot were not easily at the top layer. But then there were things that I hardly ever really felt like I wanted to mess around with that much uh, that were given pride of place. Like at any given moment, I could tell you exactly where I had to go to fabricate replacement troops. But that yeah. was hardly ever my primary concern. But because this game has such war game DNA, it's like, well, of course you want to know about your pool of replacements and equipment. And I'm like, I don't know that I need that at immediate access i feel like there's other things that i need access to faster that are hidden here the reports tab so much is put on the shoulder of that reports tab where it's like it's it's a ledger (laughs) it's not even it's not even a uh at least i i don't think you can't immediately access it right from just like the base no there's a there's a top level reports tab that you go okay but that opens the hell mouth of like 40 different reports categories i just remember any time that i knew the inf- I this happened to me several times while first playing this game and while revisiting it here almost i've, I've realized almost a year later is that every time i had to open the management tab the one that says mng and it's in the top left corner i would just kind of sigh because I knew that that was like 10 minutes of my life. I was never getting back. It's like, I I think to a degree, this is the price of this kind of innovation, because I think in general, unless you have limitless resources uh, and time being one of those resources, I must say this is a solo developer. Yeah. And so like, I think there are so many cool ideas and so many good things going into this game that the thing that there wasn't even it's not just that there wasn't time, but like, it's one of those things where I think if you had like an efficiency expert, watch people playing it, they would, they could, they could discover like, Hey, here's what this interface needs to do. Here's where people are getting lost. Here's what people are actually doing the most uh, in this game. But as you play it, it feels a lot more like, um, like professional technical software. In some ways, we're like, <laughs> here's a incredible suite of tools. I don't know how you're going to use it. I just know what's on the feature list. So there's going to be a button for all 300 of those things. Yeah. And, and here's your 350 page manual. So go that for is, it. Have that fun. Continually falling out of date. Tom, until you mentioned that, that didn't even occur to me because I'm sitting there. I'm not the manual is not on my knee because it's a PDF. But my experience of playing it is constantly all tabbing. And like going back to bookmarks in the manual. Um, This is a second screen manual game for sure. 
Yeah, but the realization that parts of it now might just be falling out of date and are just lying to you. There have already been a few things where I was like, I feel like this isn't, I'm not getting it. Am I not getting it? I feel like I'm seeing something different. If I'm actually seeing something different, then the manual should not gaslight you about the enormously complicated game. Well, yeah, and I certainly had that experience while playing this game where I would look something up and try and figure out how it worked and it would be working completely different than what the manual said in my game. Because somewhere in my game, I had triggered some sort of stratagem or power or circumstance in that caused it to work completely differently. And the manual does not account for those niche cases, which aren't necessarily even that niche. So as we wind down here, uh, I feel like we had a really positive conversation, but looming over it is my knowledge that Tom has rage quit every game. So the the premise of my review that I wrote for this, Rob, um, is why I keep coming back to it, because that is to me the fundamental truth of this is that it it will invariably just make me angry and I'll I'll be done with it and I'm, I flip at the bird and I'm like okay I quit out and I go play something that I can understand, but after that happens, I have come back to this so many times like okay let me just let me give that this or that another shot and then I start exploring the systems again I'm looking up stuff in the manual and uh. So there, there are things that even though this game will invariably make me mad like it did this morning. You know, this morning I sat down to finally figure out logistics. I booted up a game, a couple of, uh, you know, I had enough armies and provinces to deal with so where there was actual logistics going on. I, I thought I was making some progress, even though I really feel I – don't, I don't know how the manual's explanation of logistics is supposed to parse with what, what I'm seeing on the screen. But at a certain point – as I was making progress, suddenly the logistics completely stopped working because I hadn't made enough food. There was nothing to logistics anymore. <laughs> so my guys just started starving to death. And this is my test game. This is me sitting down to figure out logistics this week. And then I so now I have to figure out how food works. Um, and, and so I was just like, I, I just don't have, I don't have time for this. If I can't go to the manual and read a section on food, here's how you feed your people. All I need is a few paragraphs. Just give me the basics. Uh, I, I just, I, well, Tom, I just have no time. How's yes. how's the manual going to give you the basics when food is created differently, completely depending on what type of planet you're living on? I understand the difference between domed and open air agriculture. I love that about this game. I just need to know where is my food going? Who ate all of that? I had it. I, I literally, <laughs> and I kind of normally enjoy this sort of thing. I literally spent time this morning doing long form math <laughs> making sure the numbers lined up for my food oh, at a certain that, point Captain I, Quig over here oh i was so close rob i i just it's just 207 unaccounted for food it just came down to that where did these 207 food go who ate them <laughs> <laughs> tom was but so I busy did. optimizing his logistical throughput he never stopped to ask whether he should <laughs> right <laughs> i had the railroads yeah, not my fault there was nothing to put on them uh, so yeah, I think, I, I think your review gets to something important, which is this is a game that is fascinating and alluring to keep coming back to, uh, John, I do get a sense that you are more positive overall though. You're, you're more willing to put up with these, these peccadillos. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, a known quantity of me as a game critic is that if I think the, the fundamentals of a game are solid, I am much more willing than other people to 
overlook its shortcomings or flaws. I don't think I ever rage quit this game, but I certainly felt a level of fatigue. I've only ever finished one full campaign of it that I can think of simply because there is a point where unless you were playing on a really small map, you're like, I just I don't want to grind out the next two decades of this game. I think I'm done. Does it have an end game? That's worth uh... no. The victory conditions in this, I think, it's one of the its failings. The victory conditions are basically control of a certain amount of the population, right. uh, and that's that's kind of a shame because there's so much going on. I feel like they could have flexed a lot more of the systems by giving you other ways to to win or at least reach reach some sort of end game. State. Yeah, and the the sort of diplomatic options surrounding reaching an end game stake are really state are really lacking simply because so few other polities are willing to engage with you diplomatically simply because of the way the game is weighted towards sort of making you play war game by making the majority of people you have to interact with assholes, which is is good to a certain degree, right? But John, did it ever occur to you that it's maybe because you're an autocrat? It might be because I'm an autocrat. <laughs> it might be because I when I am playing a video game, I turn into a horrid person. But at least the trains ran on time and had food in them. Uh, hearts and minds john hearts and minds so i i would say i think that i forgive a lot of this game's shortcomings simply on the breadth and depth of what it does and i think that there aren't a lot of other games willing to try and do that so this is for me shadow empire is now the definitive sci-fi war game for me other games will have to compare to this in fundamental ways to make me interested in them Mike, uh, I feel you were curious and intrigued about this, but I'm curious how the reality uh, came across for you in the end. Yeah, like I said, uh, I I feel like I've I've gone through a roller coaster with this, and I I want to play this game so much because it's doing so many interesting things, and I I love talking about and thinking about the mechanics and all of the things that that Victor Rikers is trying to do and trying to get across. And it's just, there's so much there. Like I said earlier, it's a gold mine, but I want to play this game with a different interface. And I want to play this game with the CK three treatment of I, we threw out a UX team at it and and they've created something amazing. Like there's just so much that I think, I think it's, it's the kind of perfect game to have a show on, right? Because it's, I don't think I could actually recommend this to anybody, but it's the kind of thing I would say, like, have you ever tried Illwinter Dominions? Like, do you, (laughs) Uh, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, you're going to have to like pick up a a pickaxe and work at it for a while, but there's a lot going on and it's, it's really interesting. So I think it's, um, I think it's, it's worth thinking about and talking about at the very least. I think for me, um, and this is more of a meta commentary, but I think one of the things that increasingly comes up when I talk to uh, other strategy game critics, people in the 3MA orbit, um, the longer you've been playing these games, the more it sometimes feels like uh, you've just seen variations on the same handful of themes again and again and again. A few years ago, uh, I think, Tom, I think we had you on the show to talk about a Panzer General-esque war game. And at the time, you were like, 
I think I've put you you said I've played this game like five times before. This game, this version of it's fine, but I've played it five times before. And I was like, well, Tom's, Tom's being a bit of a dick. I like this game. It's cool. Now, from the advantage of a few years later, I understand the position a lot more where it's like, no, I've I have seen these basic elements mixed and remixed so many times that it is harder and harder for these things to for these things to break through and sort of fire the imagination. Yeah. Shadow Empire has a lot of drawbacks. It's not a friendly uh, piece of software. It does, as I said at the start, like it has a it has a tall spiked fence around it. But it is also one of the games that more effectively uh, that I've seen in years kindles that imagination, like creates a sense of genuine suspense and possibility that is so often lacking in the genre. And so I don't know if it is a I don't know if this is a great game. I don't even know if it's a good one that I would recommend to people just sight unseen. But I know in a lot of ways, this is a game I've been looking for of late. And I think if you're a, you know, a strategy gamer of a certain vintage, I think that might be true for you as well. Uh, So I think that's where I would, that's where I would leave this discussion for now. But someday I'll know what I really think of this game once it's finished and has this last major update. Uh, I think that will do it for this week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. This episode was produced by Liana Hafer. Through His Head is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at throughhisahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Through His Head is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. And uh, we also recently revamped the Patreon. Uh, there's a whole explanation of, of what's going on over there. Uh, you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA uh tom before we let you go i am curious if there's any of your side projects that have anything interesting happening that you want to plug here uh any pieces you've written i know you've already referenced uh your terrific review of shadow empire uh anything else happening uh in in tom Chickland? um sure come on over to quarterchurch3.com uh you'll find i have been playing a lot of planet fall and writing about their galactic empires mode which i'm really enjoying uh, and I've just started up again after an absence, uh, our movie games and board games podcast, which you can also find at quarter to three dot com. And uh, most of all, I just I'm elated to be back with you, Rob. It's nice to meet you, John and, and Mike. Uh, and thank you guys very much for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, John, before we let you go, and I know you do have to run imminently. Um, I know you've been writing up a storm. Anything you've written of late that people should check out? Oof. Uh... Well, I, I wrote a review for Shadow Empire that I now feel a desperate need to go back and revisit. I'm very curious what I would change here, given a year's uh, difference. But I have recently started producing sort of ultra ultra consumer, very direct, straightforward reviews of some strategy tactics and survival games for IGN, which I've really enjoyed doing. Uh, so check those out. You can find them through my Twitter, I'm sure. But otherwise, those have been a a really interesting challenge to do. And I've enjoyed them. Yeah, I I always enjoyed that kind of work uh, myself. I I think the I enjoy I I always enjoyed most work, uh, provided it came in at a manageable quantity, uh, which was always the trick as a as a freelancer. It is. Um, 
but everyone should go uh, check that stuff out and uh, go read these competing reviews of Shadow Empire. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. I think we're coming up on the end of the winter of Wargaming. Until then, for Tom, for Mike, for John, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.